Well, good morning everybody. Great to be back again. I looked at my diary uh, during worship just to see when I was here. It was 9th of September. I just got back from India and Asia and I know people are interested uh, as to where I've been often. Uh, for those of you who don't know me, I work for a, I run a little uh, a foundation called the Entrust Foundation and we essentially identify projects in the developing world uh, amongst the poor and the needy and we, uh, we uh, supply funds to those projects. I manage them on the ground in Africa, India, Asia, so I move around a little bit and spend the rest of my time here in this country um, helping promote those projects to people who may want to fund them. Uh, last night uh, was a big night, was a really boozy party I went to, uh, in the Sandringham Footy Club. Uh, a bunch of uh, Sandringham mums with young sons, many of them, had found out about a project that we are promoting in Chiang Mai, Thailand. Where, uh, where this uh, Christian lady, Alexandra, helps get young bar boys, young teenage male prostitutes out of the trade and, uh, and getting them out of there into other jobs. And these mums heard about it and said, would you come and be the speaker at our dinner? So last night there was a black tie dinner with 195 of Sandringham's finest. <laughs> and I was uh, t- trussed up in a suit and tie. We think we got home about... Um, I think it was 1.30 this morning by the time we'd wrapped up and finished but last night they think they raised around $15,000. It's a bunch of non-Christian people who heard about a need and just wanted to follow their heart and do something. And I think if people who don't know Jesus can do it, how much more should those of us who know the living God uh, can do that as well? I was in Queensland uh, a few weeks ago and I had the privilege to spend a week with some Aboriginal leaders um, we don't have many projects that we promote in Australia and it's been on our heart as a board for some time to look for some uh, appropriate projects where we can help support our Indigenous brothers and sisters. And being born in New Zealand, never studied uh, any Aboriginal history, I was shocked to hear of what happened in this country and uh, most of us in this room would probably not fully understand it either. But just to see the amazing uh, resources that these people have to hear from one of the Aboriginal elders how when the missionaries came, when they first came and they told the story about the son being sent from the father and then dying and going back to the son. They said, yeah, it's okay, we know that. It's been part of our dream time history for the last 4,000 years and we've been waiting. We knew The story got to this point. We've been waiting for someone to come and tell us the next part of the story. So when the missionaries came, they just embraced it and said, yeah, that's okay, we understand. And that's that, that uh, many of those people in that tribe became Christians. This is as natural as breathing. That God had prepared their hearts from eternity just for a time like that. So I learned a lot. I learned how to make a fishing, uh, uh, fishing uh, line out of some bark and then an Aboriginal hook comprised of a piece, a stick, a little hardwood stick. And they'd plait this stuff out of a vine and they tie it around the stick. So you imagine a stick like that and the line here and they turn the stick on its side and put a worm over it and the fish comes along and eats the whole thing and then as they pull on the line, the stick twists around and catches the fish. It doesn't have a hook, it's just a straight bit of stick. Very, very clever. And, uh, and just learned a, a few things about that. It's way off what I'm talking about. <laughs> I wanted to share with you about Hezekiah and as I've been sitting, I was praying about, always pray about what to share and I was given a free hand this morning um, and I had it on my heart to share about giving and I've been studying in Chronicles and Hezekiah and I shared it with the elders of our own church at New Hope and, uh, and this was, seemed appropriate. I thought maybe I should share that. And then I came here this morning and we heard Brendan's story 
And then I heard about your offering for your extension for your church and the message the Lord put on my heart. In some ways, uh, it, it just takes all those threads and is able to pull them together. So I really am expected that the Holy Spirit will speak to us this morning as we share. Can I just quickly add, if you can extend your church for 250 grand, you can't even build a house for that much. Uh, and that's like the bargain of the century. Uh, and if you can do it for 125, I would say hit that person on the head before they change their mind because uh, <laughs> it's, uh, it's an outstanding, uh, outstanding thing to do. Uh, and it is really, really good value. We're looking at extending our uh, place at New Hope and I want to tell you there's six zeros on the back of the number and we're just working out what the one on the front will be. Uh, several million dollars to, to bring a building to a capacity of a couple of thousand people. Um, and it's, it's not about the size, it's actually about what's in the heart. So Hezekiah, I've been studying the life of Hezekiah, what an amazing person he is. But I've wondered if you've ever thought what you would do if you became Prime Minister. Maybe dye your hair, get it red. (laughs) I wonder if you've ever thought if you uh, were able to be Premier of the state, what would you change? What would you do differently to what's been currently done? It's easy, isn't it, to criticise those in leadership? What about uh, Robert Doyle? I've been to a few breakfasts with Robert. The guy could talk underwater with marbles in his mouth. But uh, he's got a heart for the city. He's passionate about the city of Melbourne. What about if you were the pastor of the church for a day, for a week, for a year? What would you change? What would you do differently? I wonder what you'd do if, uh, if you had, uh, had a million dollars given to you this afternoon. What would change in your life? Good banknotes, by the way, Brendan. I really like the look of those. <laughs> what would you do if someone dropped a million dollars in your plate and said, there you go, your auntie died last year, you didn't know her but she left a million dollars for you because she really cared about you. That would be nice, wouldn't it? Most of the people, have, uh, from what I understand, who win the lottery, it ruins them. Within a few weeks, months or years, they've got no money and they're penniless once again. Many of them will have fed it into a poker machine. And so often we, we are critical of those who are leading, we are critical of those who are running the country or those who are running the world or President Obama or John Major or whoever's currently in the UK. We are pre- critical of the Israeli Prime Minister because of what's happening in Palestine. But if we were doing it, how would we do? And uh, Hezekiah became king at 25 years of age. We often say, well, if only I was dot, 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 I could do fill in the gap. You know what it is in your own situation. But at 25 years of age, it's actually quite young. I've got a 25-year-old. He's just growing up. He'll be an adult any time soon, we hope. (laughs) He's a delightful young man, but he's just a boy. (laughs) And he acts like one sometimes. He's sort of coming into adulthood. They say that males' brains actually are only fully mature at 25, so we're hanging out for that. But 25 is young. Uh, but the thing that amazes me as I look at Hezekiah is that as soon as he became king, he acted decisively. He knew what he wanted to do. He had a game plan. His father Ahaz did not have a heart to follow the Lord. A reading said his father had a heart to follow the Lord. He was referring to his great-great-grandfather David who had a heart for the Lord. But he could do what he wanted and he had the choice and in verse uh, 2 of 29 in Second uh, Chronicles, Hezekiah did what was right in the eyes of the law and he did something that was unusual. He actually followed God's way. 
he chose to follow the way of the Lord and I guess it's because of what he had studied before he was 25. He didn't wake up one morning and say, oh, I'm king, I'm going to follow God now. I'm sure that Hezekiah's life was all about learning of his heritage, learning about what it meant. He, maybe he looked at his father Ahaz and said, boy, he's screwing that up badly. I really want to follow God. I, w- I want to do it differently to my dad. Now, most sons look at their dads and go, I want to do it differently. I don't want to be like my dad. Maybe some of them say, well, I'd like some aspects of what my dad does. Verse uh, 3 of chapter 29, in the first month, in the first year in office, he opened the temple and repaired it. The temple was in ruins. It had been shut up. It was full of rubbish, full of junk. And he got the Levites together, the leaders of the community, the leaders of the church. He got the Levites and the priests together and he reminded them that they had turned their back on God that the leaders then, in verse 15 of chapter 29, the leaders decided to consecrate themselves to the Lord. So the king took the leadership and then he called the leaders of the community together and got them to get their hearts right and once they were sorted, then they went to the people. And I think if we're in any leadership role, and most of us here or many of us here will be in some or multiple leadership roles, there's a challenge, isn't it, to be a leader? This week I, was, uh, I won a scholarship to go to an Australian Institute of Management course on how to chair a not-for-profit. And we had some um, board guru uh, who had set up the uh, ACNC, uh, the, um, the uh, ASIC, uh, and he was speaking to us for three or four hours. And I had lunch with a guy called Dr. Ziggy Soswalski, who used to be the CEO of uh, Telstra. These are amazing men who have shown leadership in their community and it's such a privilege to have some time listening to what they had to say about how you chair a not-for-profit board. But the leaders in, in Second Chronicles consecrated themselves to the Lord and then they spent 16 days clearing out the temple. How many times have you been driving around the suburbs and seen some of this? Hard rubbish collection. And it's fascinating, isn't it? Because you see people with vans and trailers picking up the hard rubbish and they take it to their backyard so they can put it out again to, uh, six months later when the next one comes around. And I think the same lot of hard rubbish just moves around the neighbourhood from <laughs> backyard to backyard. <coughs> a couple of times a year within our culture we can get rid of the rubbish. We can get rid of the stuff that's clogging up the backyard, clogging up the shed, taking up room, stuff that's broken that we did, was too, wasn't broken enough to throw away but after two years we thought, we're never going to fix it, let's just get rid of it. And so the leaders and Hezekiah cleaned out the temple. It took them 16 days to clean out the rubbish. So it gives you an indication as to how much mess there was inside. And once they cleaned it out, they then sacrificed burnt offerings for their sins. They came to the point of confession and asked God to forgive them for their sins. They worshipped and rededicated themselves to the Lord. So what was the deal? Hezekiah becomes king. He has a heart to follow God. He calls together the leaders. He says, guys, we've got to clean out the rubbish in the temple and in our own lives and then we can uh, worship God. All the people were invited to come together and they celebrated the Passover. This is uh, the Passover, of course, is when the angel of death passed over the camp when they were leaving uh, um, Egypt. So the first principle, I want to talk about four quick principles that we can learn from Hezekiah's life. The first principle is this that God sees the attitude of our hearts. And I specifically chose that picture of a heart because it looks a bit like mine. 
a little broken, it's got some stitches in it, got a band-aid on it and uh, it's been bent a few times. But God sees the attitude of our hearts. You know, we can turn up on Sunday, we can be dressed nicely or casually, we can have a smile on our face but inside we can be hurting. Last night at this dinner at the Sandringham Footy Club the other speaker was a lady called Somali, a Somali man. Somali man uh, was a prostitute. She had been trafficked into prostitution and she was a prostitute and, uh, and some people helped her get out of prostitution and she now runs several centres in Cambodia and in Thailand to help and to mentor girls to get them out of prostitution. And she said, as a prostitute I had to have a smile on my face but inside she said, I ate. And so often we're like that. We have a smile on our face for a Sunday or for our friends but inside there's a hurt and an ache in many of our lives. And you don't want to share your, bear your soul with everybody but I would encourage you if, there's, if you've got some heart hurts and some aches that you at least find one person to share that with. I have a lot of friends and know a lot of people and drink a lot of coffee uh, with those people and I had a, a friend uh, who I hadn't seen for a while and He's a bit of a loner and I said, oh, let's go out for uh, coffee. Oh, he said, I'd love to do that. So he made this appointment, went out and had a coffee together. And he's a fairly, a very intelligent, uh, very wealthy man. He said, I've got a lot of money, Richard. And he said, I've got two friends in the whole world that I can really talk about what I do and what I am. I've only got two friends in the whole world that I can really talk about, uh, you know, about these things with. And he said, uh, one of them died a couple of years ago. And he said, you're the other one. And my heart sank because I thought I haven't been as good a friend to him as I should have been. But a fairly lonely guy with a handful of friends and not many people that he could really bear his soul with and talk to. So maybe you're one of the people that can draw someone and, and come alongside and support them. You don't have to, uh, you, you have to just keep it within yourself. Listen to what people have got to say and be a friend to someone. God sees the attitude of our heart. God saw Hezekiah's heart. And Hezekiah's heart was to turn the people back to God. In verse 10 of chapter 29 he says, Now I intend to make a covenant with the Lord, the God of Israel, so that his fierce anger will turn away from us. Hezekiah was intercessing on behalf of the people. The Israelites had been, very, had been given very strict instructions from God about how to conduct the Passover and the sacrifices and all these different ceremonies they were doing. But chapter 30 and verse 18 gives us a really interesting insight into the heart of God. In chapter eight, uh, verse 18 of chapter 30 it says, Many people who came had not purified themselves, yet they ate the Passover contrary to what was written. Hezekiah prayed for them saying, May the Lord who is good pardon everyone who sets his heart on seeking God even if he is not clean according to the rules of the sanctuary. So God created all these rules and regulations for his people and then they turned their back on God and they were coming back to him and God actually said, well, the rules are important but actually I'm more interested in your heart. I'm more interested in the attitude of your heart than the rules and regulations. And in our society and sometimes in our churches, we can face, put more emphasis on the, obeying the rules and regulations, the culture of our fellowship than we do about the heart attitude. And I believe if our heart attitude is to follow God and to be right before him, the other stuff, while important, it's not a deal breaker. So after God had listened to their prayers, forgiven for their sins, 
understood that not all of them had got everything T crossed and I dotted. God, it says God listened and healed. He is interested in the spirit of the law, not the letter of the law. They celebrated for seven days. They had a party for seven days. And then they said, this is great. Let's just go for another seven days. And so they had a 14 day celebration. But it was very interesting that they celebrated for 14 days and there was a clear result of that as well. But I wonder what God sees when he looks at our hearts. When God looks into our hearts, as broken as they might be, (coughs) I wonder what he sees in our own hearts and what we present on the outside. So when our hearts change, when we get our lives right, when we confess our sin before God, when we clean out the rubbish of our lives, God changes our heart and a heart change means the next stage in Hezekiah's, uh, Hezekiah's life. That true worship, when we really worship God, it brings us fresh recognition of sin. So this morning we've sung some beautiful hymns, we've shared communion together, we've worshipped God. And I wonder if we've done that. As, as we realise who God is, I'm wondering if, it's real, if we've realised how finite we are. I wonder if it's brought a fresh recognition of the things that are not right in my life or in your life. Those things that niggle away in the background that we try and ignore. The wrong attitudes. I think last time I was here I gave you a list of 50 things that we should check uh, in our conversations and with our tongue. I wonder how we're doing on that. I cut it out and put it in the back of my Bible. I pull it out every now and then and check it. I go, oh, fail, fail, fail. But God knows our hearts and he knows that we want to follow him. But as we worship God, as we focus on who he is, it brings about a fresh recognition of our sin. They responded by making some changes once they realised they were wrong. So the Bible says that they went and cut down the Asherah poles. An Asherah pole was a, 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 a sacred tree or pole to honour the, the pagan goddess Asherah. And it had some fertility rituals attached to it. It was just a pagan idol, really. Then they uh, broke down the altars in the high places. I've been up in Jordan, up in the high places there. And you can see the, the shape of a body and a little dip carved out of the rock where the head goes. And that was where they made human sacrifices and sacrificed children to the gods. So taking down these high places, removing the altars, meant that they no longer wanted to worship those foreign gods. They wanted 100% of their focus to be on the living God. Chapter 31 and verse 1, they said, They went out and smashed all the sacred stones, cut down the Asherah poles, destroyed the high places and altars throughout the land. I wonder what is the result of our worship, both publicly here together, but also in our own personal devotional time. As we read and reflect, and I trust that we try and do that daily, as we read and reflect on on God's word, I wonder if God is using that to change and to shape our hearts. Does it help us draw closer to God when we worship him? Do we come away from a Sunday morning and go, wow, that was nice to be in church, to worship God with his people. Does our worship help us to see our own shortcomings? Does does our worship of God help us to recognise our own sin and bring us to that point of confession where we want to get rid of those things in our life that are holding us back? So once we've got through true worship and we've recognised our sin and and confession has come and we've cleaned out our lives, we've got rid of the hard rubbish in our lives, this next lesson or next principle from the life of Hezekiah makes us want to review our priorities 
and that causes us to be generous. And that's where it, the, the, what I prepared is tying in with what you guys, where you guys are at. We need to review our priorities. So when we get the sin sorted out in our life, it says, well actually why am I here? What am I doing on this earth? What am I doing in this church? Why am I in that job? Why has God put me here? And when, when we come to that point of confession and totally dependent on God, then we say, well, what are my priorities? I had some interesting conversations last night. I met a stockbroker. I met uh, a couple of business people. Um, I met some, some very interesting people. And they said to me, but you're amazing doing what you do. I said, no, I'm not. I'm just normal. I'm ordinary. And they said, yeah, but I'm, I'm out making money and, and I'm out uh, for myself. And you're actually doing something for somebody else. That's, that's great. I said, well, you're doing something for somebody else because you paid 135 bucks for the ticket for dinner. And so just to encourage them that whatever we do, it's about our heart. It's actually not the job that we do. So we need to review our priorities. We need to be generous. Verse 5 of chapter 31, it says, The Israelites generously gave the first fruits of their produce. They brought in a great amount. So their sins had been confessed, their lives were cleaned out, they were challenged, we need to restore the house of the Lord and so they said go out and do what God's told us to do, to tie their income, to put our first fruits on the table and to give to God what uh, belongs to God. I heard an interesting concept the other day. Someone said to me, Richard, there is no such thing as a sacrificial gift. I said, really? How do you figure that out? If I give more than I can afford, does that make it sacrificial? He goes, no. I said, how come? He said, well, if we believe that everything we've got is God's in the first place and we're giving it back to him, how can it be sacrificed? Because it's already his. I thought, yeah, that's interesting. (laughs) interesting way of looking at the world. One of the things that I've been learning to do, and it's ongoing, is, is to work out how many kingdoms I have in my life. So we have our God's kingdom, we have our church and our Sunday school and our Bible study and our prayer life and devotions and we sing in the <coughs> ring or we play the drums, we drag out of retirement, play the drums. <laughs> but but we, have, we have our, we have our, our Christian world, our Christian life, our Christian kingdom. And it's not very hard to figure out who might be the king of that kingdom. If it's Christ's kingdom, it's our Christian kingdom, God's the king. But if we're very honest we may have several other kingdoms in our life. We might have the kingdom of our business or our, or our hobby or our fishing or our caravanning or our whatever. Nothing wrong with them. But if we say, well, here's God's kingdom here and this is my other kingdom, my hobbies, my sports, my business, my home, my, my, my friends, this is, this is my kingdom. So if it's my kingdom over here, who do you think might be the king of that one? Any thoughts? Probably me. And so what I'm trying to do and what I'm trying to encourage others to do is to think in what I call to have a one kingdom mindset. To take God's kingdom and to take my kingdom and to blend them together and make it one kingdom. And if you've got one kingdom of everything that I've got, everything that I am, every, every interest that I have, every relationship that I have, if it's all under God's kingdom, then it's easy because he's the king of it. And it's all his to start with. So as we think about what we do and as we think about reviewing our priorities and being generous with those priorities, it will affect what we do with the resource that God has entrusted us with. 
Garth was reading that verse in 2 Corinthians 9 and I looked at the top of that same chapter and I just uh, put this, cut and pasted this into my message. Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And I would just leave that with you as you think about what you might want to do next week with your church building. Don't give under compulsion. Don't give out of guilt. Ask God for the number. Often uh, Julie and I get an opportunity to give and I say, I'd like to do something for this. I say, I've got a number in my head. What do you reckon? She goes, hmm, this is a test. Actually, quite often, not always, but quite often, the number Julie gives me and the number that God's put on my heart is actually the same number. It's just a confirmation that this is what we should do. I like to be generous. I like to give. I like to stretch myself personally and financially because it's always exciting to see how God is going to cover what we think might be a shortfall uh, in our income. So once we've set the right priorities and we've been able to uh, be generous and to put those priorities right before God, then the fourth thing is that we are then able to fully serve God in everything that we do. Notice the word that doesn't say most things. It actually says everything. And if our sins confess, the rubbish is out of our lives, we've got God as a priority, we've confessed our sin, we're worshipping him, we're focused on him, we're being generous because we've got our priorities straightened out, then serving God and everything is actually quite an exciting way to live. In verse chapter 31 and verse 21 it says, And everything that he undertook, he sought his God and worked wholeheartedly and so he prospered. But we've been hearing this morning from Brandon and his, his testimony ties in beautifully as well because after Hezekiah had got all this sorted out, God actually sent some tests to him. And because of the clock, I won't go through these tests and his response. It's maybe a message for another time. But God does allow tests in my life. I'm sure God has allowed tests in your life. God certainly allowed some tests in Brendan's life. I, uh, the question I have for him, I'll ask him afterwards, why did you stick it out for so long? <laughs> he must be a masochist to say, hang in there. <laughs> <laughs> but you know something when God puts us into a, a situation and we know that he's got us there that is the thing that will get us through just because it's tough we don't have to bail but if we know that God's put us there that will get us through I don't know whether I share with you I was recently voted on as the, the uh, chairman of the council of New Hope Church so I'm basically the, the leading elder for this quite large church and I took on this because God clearly gave me, I told him, I said, Lord, if you want me to do this, I want chapter and I want verse and I want it written in the sky because I don't know how I can fit it in. I just haven't got the time to do this. And God gave me the chapter and the verse so I said, yes. Um, so I'm doing this, this little role uh, at New Hope and it's stretching me. Uh, I've been out most nights this week doing something uh, and there's a church that's growing and, and really having a huge influence in the community. But God has provided, God's enabled because I, and I'm doing it because I know he wanted me to, not because that was the last thing I wanted. But you do it when God knows that, that, that uh, he wants you to. And you're, it's out of obedience to God. So there will be some tests. 
And uh, I just want to finish and summarise uh, what I've been able to say this morning. And I'd like you to take something that's been shared, something that God has put on your heart, even if it's just one point of a point. It's okay. But these are the things that, uh, that uh, God's been speaking to us about. So first of all, the four principles is that God sees the attitude of our hearts, both corporately as a church, but certainly as individuals. The second thing is that true worship does bring about a recognition of sin. We need to learn what it means to confess to God and confess uh, quickly to one another. The third thing is that we must review our priorities. And as we do that, we will become generous and we need to learn what it means to live in a one kingdom world. And the fourth thing is that let's serve God in everything that we do. Not to have our lives in compartments, but to see it all. And look, if you like fishing... Go out and fish and rejoice in the the peace and the quiet and God's provision and God's nature. It's a blessing. Don't feel guilty about going fishing. This can be part of our worship of God. I like sailing. So to get out on the bay and to go sailing, it just clears my head of all the clutter and it's such a blessing. Serve God in everything that we do. It's about what he wants. It's not about me. Let me pray for you. Father God, we thank you for your care, for your love, for your provision and for your challenge. And Lord, as you have just uh, brought this message to touch a number of points in my heart and the hearts of people here, I pray that you'll help us, not just to hear the words, but to put them into action, to help us review the priorities in our life, to get rid of some of the clutter, to confess the sin that is in our lives that we know is wrong and draw us close to you, we pray so that we can be one kingdom people serving the living God with generous hearts and glorying and honouring you in all that we do. And we pray this and we give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.